0: I could be vengeful, and feed my anger's hunger. But to uplift your consciousness, do I have to become a monster? Welcome back to High Story. I'm Matt. My name is Matt, too. We know who you are over there. What you can't see or hear is Tish. She's down on the floor in the studio today, hanging out. And thank you to everybody who tuned in last week and listened to the crazy story up in Washington, Hallie Illingworth, and my probably annoying old-timey Prohibition-era voice. I'm sure that was fun for many of you to listen to. I apologize to your eardrums now. I had... Hope you have enough eardrums left to listen to today's story, because there's a lot of it to get through. Um, Real quick, go do the free stuff. Give me all the iTunes reviews. I finally had my first one the other day. I have one now. I want to see a zero behind that soon. You guys are awesome. I know you guys can do it. I believe in you if anyone can. It's you guys out there. I hope I have at least 10 people who listen on that platform who can help me out, but that's all the intro I have time for today, because I... Mentioned a few minutes, seconds ago. Minutes, not even one minute into this. This is a doozy of a story, and it hits pretty close to home for me, because it pretty much is home for me. We are going back to Montgomery, Texas in 2001, back when gas was $1.40 a gallon. Let's fucking go. I want that back. Where's my time machine, and how can I apply its effects to my car? Today, it's one of the fastest-growing small-town communities in America currently squeaking into the ninth ranking for fastest-growing county in Texas, and the sign should say, I hope you have bug spray. Why's that? You'll know what that means in a few minutes. And just a short drive down 105 is the city I call home, the city of Conroe. Another kind of smaller city, but quite a bit larger than Montgomery. A lot of people out here, myself included, live in Conroe, work in Montgomery, or vice versa. They're very close, literally just a 15-minute drive down the road and the community here is about what you'd expect for a small town especially with a population of only about 2214 median age here about 41 men men right around 44 and a half and women 34 and a third and that seems about right from what i can see on pretty much any given night at work if you worked out that equation for the dinner rush if you took the average age of all the men and the average age of all the women probably be about Nine, ten years between them. That's pretty close. It seems right. Median household income here. I didn't know this. $114,136. God damn it. I want to know what that life is like. Pretty white here as far as the stats go. The whole county is about 86% white. Although I've noticed pretty much anywhere I go up here, there's pretty much there's a pretty good mix of different people everywhere which is very reflective of Greater Houston now that I think about it, which is not too far from here. About half the people here are religious, and this may or may not come as a shock to you, but in a small Texas town, you can bet your ass it's Baptist doing it for the Lord down here. Woo! Not my thing, but, you know, you do you. Unemployment, only about two point two percent and that definitely checks out. I've noticed we are some hard-working fucking people down here. Everybody has at least one job, and many of the very nice people I see on my day-to-day are well-mannered and surprisingly even-tempered for a town dominated by oil and gas and construction work. Although, it is kind of difficult to stay in a shitty mood when there's a gigantic lake lined with trees and national forests and just gorgeous houses all over the shoreline can drive over a bridge that spans the entirety of the lake and on either side of you is just water up to the horizon and just trees off in the distance and these oh, there's a, also a huge ass pirate ship on the lake now by the way did you know this? I didn't know this until like a few months ago. There's a pirate ship on the lake now. You can go out there and rent a giant pirate ship party boat and it just it floated by the window one day at work and I was like what the fuck is that a Pirate ship? So, yeah, you can go rent a party boat. I'm not going to. I'm too broke for that. It's $30 per kid under 12 and $40 and up for adults, so I'm out. You know, if you want to go do that, you can be out on the lake doing pirate shit for a good hour and a half of your weekend, getting hammered on rum and coconut drinks. Shit, yeah. That'd be fun if I still drank. Or you could just go walk around the lake or through the woods or the national forest like I did earlier today, that was kind of neat. There's so much beautiful scenery up here. On a clear cool day, it really is a very pretty part of the country. In the springtime, there's just tons and tons of wildflowers that line the highway up and down the road everywhere you go, and there's just random pastures full of cows and horses and giant thunderclouds looming off in the distance that are definitely going to miss us like it always fucking does, damn lake. And if you've never watched a sunrise come up over a lake, you need to make that happen somehow. It is something to see. And I'm running out of excuses to go fishing. It's right there. And then there's the Walden Peninsula just down behind the good Walmart. I live over here by the shitty one. Real quick, small sidebar. All the stores that there are to shop out out here, there's Kroger, Walmart, HEB, I The ones by me are all the shitty versions of those stores. I would have to go really far out of my way to get to any of the good versions of those stores, so... Convenient though they may be, selection and crowd does not a very fun shopping trip make. Dude, but, What? I don't like shopping is my point. Anyway, Walden is one of the super wealthy areas out here. There's a huge-ass Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville Resort, and... No thanks... It's it's also a pain in the ass to get to, too. The road leading up to it's in the middle of a golf course, and there's speed bumps that are just perfectly spaced enough to get back to a comfortable cruising speed, and then BAM! Speed bump! And to do what? To spend way too much on shitty food and land sharks at a and sleep at a Jimmy Buffett resort? Those words don't belong together, first of all, unless the resort is for alcohol rehab, and second of all, land sharks? Really? That's some shitty beer. Then there's the country club attached to the aforementioned golf course and a yacht club full of the ascot and summer scarf wearing mega wealthy. You know, the grab a waitress's ass because it'll be funny kind of wealthy? No. Oh, that's not funny. Not funny, fuck stick. Words are just fine. You're an adult. Mm. That's a true story someone I know, by the way. Just, they're out there. Be aware of that. Luckily, there's not very many of them around and the rest of Walden and Montgomery is filled out by a lot of people I like to call my friends. In case you're a new listener, regardless of the subject for the episode, my aim is to entertain and to make you laugh. I absolutely mean no disrespect to anyone or anything. Comedy and humor is just much easier for me to digest, especially when it comes for a sensitive topic like true crime. Stick around. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun way to spend a good chunk of your afternoon, trust me. It just occurred to me that we are also really close to the Ren Faire, and that's happening soon, and I have got to go this year. It has been way too long. Okay, moving on. As you might imagine, though, and this is true of the town I grew up in, there is a darker side of Montgomery. Not that this is in and of itself bad, but lots and lots of teenagers and people my age here. And the thing about teenagers and people my age and my age range is we fuck up a lot. We like to party and drink and fuck around in big-ass lifted trucks. Woo! And sometimes in a small town, there isn't much else to do besides drink and do drugs and fuck around in a truck. About whatever isn't happening that night. Spoiler alert. Nothing is happening any night. Uh, oh, except there—there there is a quilt walk coming up. If you want to go walk around and look at quilts, I guess. Why would anybody want to do that? Yeah, I don't think I want to do that. And what most people don't tell you about Montgomery and Conroe is that 20 minutes east of the city or so is a little town called Cut and Shoot. Fucking woo! We're in Texas, remember? And not far from there is a little town called Splendora, which has been called the meth capital of Texas. I can't find actual documentation that says that, but at least three different people from there have told me that, so that probably checks out. There's meth labs and shit everywhere in there. I read about a guy a couple days ago, (laughs) fucking, this guy went to go bail his friend out of jail there, and he went to reach for his wallet to pay for him to bail him out, and fucking Baggy of Meth dropped out. Not leaving with your friend, and that didn't work, so there you go, that's Splendora, I guess. No shortage of the G-Mob running around doing whatever the shit they do all over the county, getting lousy with them during daylight hours, I swear. And to accompany all that beautiful rural nature and street-walking crack skeletons that you see down by Fiesta during the day, when the sun goes down, holy shit, the night bugs here are aggressive and numerous. Another one of my long lists incoming. Dude, why do you do these all the time? Crickets, moths, beetles, gnats, flies, mosquitoes, love bugs, June bugs, spiders, centipedes, millipedes, katydids, stick bugs, ants. Okay. Those big ass tree roaches that sneak into your kitchen at random times of the day. Caterpillars, earthworms, armadillos, raccoons, possums, squirrels, giant football sized crows on Walden. Deer that just walk around in people's yards also on Walden. Owls and nighttime birds everywhere. And I know those last few were just examples of other wildlife but you get my point nature is loud as fuck at night out here there's bats probably we got it so yeah welcome that's where we are today bustling little country town with really any number of interesting people walking around out there but now that we've gotten acquainted with the town a little bit we've got to get to know a few of the people that used to live here i feel like i should point out here i would much rather give the family the majority of the spotlight here by all accounts, Sandra, Adam, and Jeremy were very well-liked, had lots of friends, they were very nice people who I probably would have gotten along with. Unfortunately, I can't seem to find much more about them other than what's available online and in the documentary I watched on this case. It's called Into the Abyss by Warner Herzog. He's fantastic. It's amazing. It's on YouTube right now. Go watch it right after this. I don't know if any other family members are still living in the area up here. You know, this was 20 years ago, but... I'll do my best to give them the respect they deserve when I can, but I am going to be roasting Perry and Burkett throughout this, so I hope that makes up for it a little bit. For the time being, we're going to talk about a real asshole and his jerk-off buddy, and you can decide which one is which. One I think is definitely worse, but neither of them are good options. Michael James Perry never had a chance when he came wailing into the world on April 9th, 1982. He started from the bottom and fucking stayed put. His biological mother gave him up for adoption pretty quickly, probably stemming from her drug abuse issues, and he's taken in by some very caring adoptive parents who, from what I can tell, tried their damnedest to give him a chance, but he just wouldn't take it. And I think they're living in Florida at the time, and in first grade, Perry was diagnosed with ADD. The first of many diagnoses to come. ADHD? ADD? that's, That's the same thing, right? I always see it two different ways, and I think that's the same thing, but anyway, it's not uncommon with first graders either. Calm down, you little shitheads. Derek, stop licking Tucker, and Joey, get that pencil out of Lane's arm. You know what? Just just take this Adderall and go away. So things are going great for him so far. Can't pay attention and follow directions by first grade while living in the Florida Everglades. And that seems to be a pattern that will follow him for the rest of his life, because in seventh grade, he is diagnosed with Oppositional Defiant Disorder. Which is often manifested in patterns of angry or irritable moods, argumentative and defiant behaviors, or vindictiveness. I'll not listen to what you say, even if it's good advice, just out of spite. You know, he's a fucking kid. You could tell him not to put his hand on a burning log, and he would do it anyway. Now nah, this isn't hot. And stuff his fucking hands all singed up and smell like burnt hair. Probably smells like. Big I hope he day. really did that one day. What an idiot! And the next year, he's diagnosed with. Conduct Disorder, which often manifests itself into patterns of thievery, lies, and physical violence. You mix those two together, and that, my friend, is a dangerous, dangerous cocktail of misfiring synapses and hormonal imbalances. Perry says one time he went on a canoe trip in the Everglades, and there were fucking alligators everywhere, and he was worried about what happened if he got eaten by an alligator. I kind of wish he did after this. You know, you'll kind of probably wish he got eaten by an alligator, too. He said on that same trip later on, they were attacked by monkeys somehow. He said, like, no idea where they came from, but there was a whole bunch of them. What the fuck are you talking about? No, there's no monkeys in the Everglades, but... I don't know if you remember the name of the show you're listening to, but... I had to look it up, and no, monkeys do not live in the Everglades, but I also made myself sad looking it up, because I found out there are a few panthers there, but literally just a few, like 10 or 15, so that was kind of neat and also kind of sad to read about. Sometime after the Gator Laden canoe trip, he just stopped going to school altogether sometime in the 8th grade and he just now he's out and about in society doing truant tune- truant teenager shit in a small town. Stealing his adoptive mom's jewelry, breaking into the neighbor's house, taking the van out for joyrides, crashing into mailboxes and shit. Parents tried counseling, but that was pretty quickly apparent that it was pointless. So they send him to a reform school, because that'll shape him up super good. Oh, he's going to do great. And a good way to think of Michael Perry from this point on is if you're a fan of The Simpsons. Duh. In the Treehouse of Horror episode, The Thing and I, where it turns out Bart has an evil twin, Hugo. Alright, the part at the hospital when Dr. Hibbert is talking about him, and he says, After a routine soul smear, (laughs) he says he's (laughs) too crazy for Boys Town, and too much of a boy for Crazy Town. The child was an outcast. That's kind of how Perry is. He's too crazy for Boys Town and too much of a boy for Crazy Town. Especially when he arrives at Father Flanagan's Boys Town in Nebraska. Really? And I have a question for you real quick. When I hear Boys Town, are, are they all one place? Is that the same place? I googled this place and every mention of Boys Town seemed to link back to the one in Omaha, but... I thought it was more just like a general term for boarding schools or reform schools, like to a Boys Town, but it is it just one place? No, right? I can't figure that out. Anyway, he shows up at Boys Town in September of 97, and it doesn't take him long to scare the living shit out of everybody there. Three months in, he threatens his house parents, saying, You know, you people work here. People like me who are going to rape or kill your kids, you know. No, I don't know, Michael, nor do I want to. Not sure exactly what he was trying to say there, but that is his exact quote. But regardless of what he wanted to say, it was enough to land him in the Boys Town equivalent of solitary for about four months. And he was somehow not eligible, even within the scope of his disorders. That wasn't enough to merit any sort of mental health treatment at that facility, which kind of, that seems weird to me if threatening to rape and kill your house parents children isn't enough to warrant a psych eval then i don't know what the i don't know what they're doing with boys town i don't know yeah someone should have looked at him and being left alone with that combination of disorders and after having said that i can't imagine would be good for anybody so his adoptive parents have had about enough of his shit at this point and they ship him off to the Casa by the Sea treatment facility in Mexico sounds nice right yeah road trip woo let's no it wasn't It was closed in 2004 by the U.S. Consulate after numerous allegations of human rights violations and various other offenses, on top of giving out expired medication and none of their staff having any kind of medical background or credentials. But Perry had long since dropped out before that in 2000. The moment he turned 18, he dropped out of the program and moved back to the Houston area. He stayed with his parents for a very short time. Can't imagine how that went. They probably... No, leave. Now, get out. Probably didn't last but a fucking blink of an eye. Bounced, ultimately ended up bouncing around from shelter to shelter, and he had a brief stint in the Job Corps. Ooh. Yeah, you ever known anybody in the Job Corps? Aren't they just so much fun to be around? No, not really. And look, I know, I know, I get it, I know it's an effective program, but more often than not, it's occupied by people kind of like Perry. So that's Perry, and that's where he comes from. And it's right around the time he gets back to Houston sometime in 2000 that he meets Jason Aaron Burkett. And now allow me to bring you up to speed on what he was doing up to this point. Jason didn't have it much better growing up. His father, Delbert, was an extremely abusive alcoholic that also manufactured and sold meth. That his mother was a frequent abuser of even while pregnant with Jason. So right off the bat, he's behind the eight ball. And to pile on, his dad would beat him and his older brothers would beat him up pretty regularly too. Okay, I don't know what kind of beatings he meant, but that might just be an older brother kind of thing, though. I have had every single wrestling move you can possibly think of done to me so many different times. On the floor, on carpet, on hardwood, sometimes on a mattress drug out in the living room, on the couch, on my bed. <laughs> oh yeah, when I was a kid... My dad used to give me the flying elbow to wake me up for school, screaming like Macho Man, just, Oh yeah, it's time for school! That was terrible. Yeah, I just thought it was fun to be included in a lot of that stuff, though. I just like, alright, they're 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 paying attention, I'm part of the group now, and then they're just power-bombing me into the couch and shit. Fucking. But I'm guessing Jason didn't want to be included in much of what his older brothers wanted to do. It's probably much worse than putting your little brother in a figure-four choke slamming me into the bed, whatever it might be. No, Jason would get beatings, abusive beatings, getting the shit kicked out of him, probably just for being there. The family was living off food stamps, and Delbert, being the glorious role model that he was, would shoot at mom with pellet guns after beating his other kids, probably beat his kid with a different kid. He did and one time Jason says he even witnessed his father raping his mother on at least one occasion. So, you know, that wasn't the only time that that happened in that house. That was just the only time he saw it happening. I'm not sure when this happened, but I, th- I think it was sometime before Jason and Perry met. But in the documentary, there's the pit bull hat guy. Oh, he's in this. And I think he's the same man who wrote a statement that we'll read a little bit later. He said Jason was at his house. Which, if it's an actual house, it's run down as fuck, I'm sure. He said Jason was at his house and he wanted to fight him. But Pitbull went to take off his shirt for the fight, like all rednecks and white trash do. Man, that guy really is in everything, isn't he? He fucking is. And at that point, he claims Jason stabs him in the armpit with a long screwdriver. You know, one of those obnoxiously long screwdrivers that's about 18 inches long. You, would like, used to work on cars and shit. He says Jason stabs him with the screwdriver and sunk it to the handle. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. That didn't happen. No fucking way. He'd be so dead. No fucking way that actually happened. Yeah, I'm not fucking buying it. Maybe Jason did stab him. That part I believe, but no way was it as long as he said it was. From left armpit to right nipple, I don't know, bro. I don't think I believe that, but... Especially since right after that he said he had to be at work in 30 minutes to go work on a roof with Jason's brother and then not go to the hospital for it, so I don't think the stab wound was probably that bad. And there isn't much else to speak of on his background that I could find, but he's about the same age as Perry whenever they actually do meet, Perry actually being a little bit older, surprisingly. I was about 11 years old at the time this story takes place, and from what I can remember from then, literally everybody older than me, or anybody that had a car, was fucking cool and I don't want to do my math homework. Didn't matter who it was. If they were older than me, they were cool. I'm 33, I think, now, and looking back at me at 18 years old, with all the friends I had and all the people I knew, probably a safe bet that Jason's day-to-day life was pretty chaotic. He's surrounded by abusive family and neglectful parents and doing God knows what and whatever free time away from them you get, and having to live like that for 18 years is Probably going to make a guy pretty angry. The guys I knew who had similar upbringings to that, they they were pretty angry kids. Pretty angry guys. And it sounds like meeting Perry didn't do much to help with Jason's tolerance for bullshit. So how did these two meet? Early 2000, Jason says he's driving down the road and he sees his girlfriend's friend, not going to say her name, kind of not relevant anyway, sees her talking to Michael Perry on the side of the road, arguing about something. Classy. I know, right? He asked what's happening, and she said Perry had been living out of her trunk, and he's overstayed his welcome, and he won't leave, even though her dad saw him this morning, and the two even got into a fight over it. And she asked Jason if he will please, for the love of God, let him live with you for just a month. Please. Just tears running down her face, frustrated and fed up. Please get this fucking guy out of my car. And at first, Jason says, Fuck no, what are you, crazy? I don't want this guy living with me. But it's his girlfriend's friend, so eventually he caves and allows Perry to live with him in his camper trailer. There's an option to hook a truck or trailer up to it, but there's nothing hooked up to it. It's just a wild camper in a clearing in the woods. Fucking <laughs> bleak. Jason says he kind of ended up taking care of Perry, like, like if a little brother was pushed on you. Oh yeah, what's that like, man? So, great, now I have this other weirdo living with me in my camper in the woods, and he won't leave me alone. I, I imagine Perry kind of like a lost puppy when Jason was talking about him. Wait, no. Remember in the old Looney Tunes cartoons? I'm sorry to bring up cartoons again, but it's relevant. In the old Looney Tunes cartoons, those two dogs, the the big one, Spike, and the little yellow one, Chester? Um, kinda? You know, the giant bulldog with the pork pie hat, it doesn't say much. And Chester, the little yappy dog, was always jumping around and yapping in Spike's face. Just, yeah, 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 let me get him, let me get him. You know, that guy, that's those two. That's what I see when I look at these two, is just Spike and Chester. And the only other person sort of involved with this, more just kind of on the periphery of it, was Jason's girlfriend at the time but her father was in law enforcement and she was given immunity in exchange for her testimony, so I'm not going to say her name either. Reason being, part of the timeline involves the use of her truck, but I think her presence was really more just wrong place, wrong time. Later on, Perry will say he was a victim of wrong place, wrong time, which is a load of shit. This girl chose the exact right time to get the fuck out and remove herself, and seems her role is mainly just for transportation for a very short time and otherwise kind of irrelevant. So now that we know a little bit about Michael Perry and a little bit about Jason Burkett, we haven't had an opportunity to meet Sandra, Adam, and Jeremy yet. I tried to look for anything I could about what they were like or much else beyond their relationship to each other and the night in question. And if you do end up watching the documentary, which you should, it's on YouTube, The scenes with Lisa Stotler, Balloon? Balloon? I hope I'm saying that right. Balloon? Her scenes really helped me get a much clearer picture of what Sandra or Sandy was like. I like Sandy. I'm going to call her Sandy. I'm imagining one of my grandmothers right now. She would have been about the same age as Sandy, probably the same denomination of Christianity, whatever it was. Their attitude, I bet, probably pretty similar to my grandmother's. I'm not sure... You know, I'm not sure what she ever did for a living now that I think about it. I don't know what her job ever was, but I do know that Sandy was a nurse at the Conroe Regional Medical Center, so she was probably a nurturing, caring, giving type like my grandmother was. And I'd be willing to bet Sandy was an amazing cook, too. She probably got a badass meatloaf recipe. Or if she's like my grandma, she can somehow turn a pot of beans and cornbread into a magical Sunday evening dinner. And my grandma was never in a bad mood either. She was awesome. She never raised her voice, but she could somehow put that little bit of fear of God into you if I started, like, fucking around a little too much. And she always had something for me to do, whether help her set the table or actually helping to cook. You know, that's actually where I started to learn how to cook was Sunday dinner at grandma's house. Or sometimes she just have me go out and feed the horses. Dudley was my favorite. He was a little gray paint horse out there. Anyway... I know that was a lot of setup, but we had to meet everybody first. So now, now we have to talk about what actually happened. Sandra and Adam lived in a gated community just off the main highway in Montgomery called Highland Ranch. If you go over to the Facebook page this week, I have some pictures, and there's no addresses or anything, but this information's all publicly available on Google and other places. I just happened to live close by and was able to take a few pictures, If you want to read through the articles I did and decipher your own directions and go looking around, driving around, I don't recommend it. It's confusing as shit down here and it's all woods and it's confusing in the daylight. So just go look at the pictures on the Facebook page. It's going to be way easier than doing that. So it's October 24th, 2001, sometime around 7pm. Jason and Perry are driving Jason's girlfriend's truck and they park in the street in front of Sandy's house. And they also had a shotgun with them. Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, why? Good question. Not that difficult to get into a gated community by the way. I was a pizza delivery guy for about 10 years. Well, you can find your way in. Back to October 24th, that was a gorgeous day that day too. I looked it up, it was like a high of maybe 74, 75. Beautiful day when the weather's nice out there. She left the garage door open that day, just letting the fall breeze blow over you anytime you step outside. Just anytime you're in the garage, it's just nice and cool, that cool October air. Sandra is inside baking cookies, watching TV, just having a relaxing evening at home. The plan was to convince Adam to let them stay the night, and during the night, they'll steal the Camaro and take off. Okay, so this is for a car. After talking to Sandra, they find out Adam isn't home and won't be back until later because he's at the skate park, so they leave. They get back in the car and they decide, you know what? I have a better plan. Oh, what's your plan? Let's just kill her since we have this shotgun that we brought and then we can just steal the car now. That's a bad plan. Yeah, it's not a good plan. I don't like that plan either. What the fuck? And they were almost out of the subdivision. It would have been so much easier to just leave and go find some weed or something, but no. They go back and they park the truck up the road a ways from the Stotler house. Jason then returns to the front door while Perry goes around the side of the house and into, and into the garage. Jason knocks on the door and asks Sandy if he can use her telephone real quick. Truck won't start all of a sudden, even though it was running fine when we drove here 5 minutes ago. Meanwhile, Perry makes his way through the garage and into the house. Just inside the house is a little laundry room type of area with another door that separates that room from the kitchen from the rest of the house. So, While Jason's talking to Sandra at the front of the house, Perry knocks on the door that leads into the garage, drawing Miss Stotler, Sandy, to the back of the house. I can't quite pinpoint where Perry is hiding, but... As she opens the door to the garage, oh Michael Perry steps out from behind her and shoots her in the side with the shotgun. Oh my god! She falls to the floor, Perry drops the gun. I bet the sound scared him. I bet the echo in that room was so loud. Probably no bigger than the closet I'm in right now. If a, if a shotgun went off in this closet right now, I would be fucking deaf. Good God, man. That would be so loud. But Sandy's a nurse, and she's a super tough lady on top of that, and she goes to get up, and tries to stand up and get away, but Perry grabs a shotgun again, and shoots her again, and she falls to the ground. I don't know how else to say it, so I'll just say it. She's gone. After the second shot, she's, she's dead. During the commotion, at some point, Jason had run to the back door to see what had happened, and flips shit, oh fuck, and runs back to the front door and opens that up for some reason and then they calm themselves down a little bit and try to get collected, and it dawns on them, oh, fucking shit, what do we do now? So Jason runs off to go get the truck, and Perry runs into a bedroom near the kitchen to grab the sheets and blanket to wrap the body in. Jason backs the truck up into the garage, and they drag her through the kitchen and laundry room through the garage and into the truck. Once they get her into the truck, Jason drives down to a little area called Crater Lake. Now, Crater Lake is about maybe a half hour drive away from highland ranch tw- maybe 20 30 minutes or so depending on which way you go i'd imagine even these two dipshits would have enough sense to take back roads since so maybe uh, probably closer to 30 40 minutes plus they're panicking and you know there's a corpse in the back of the truck and once they get there they turn off onto a dirt road leading down to the lake okay so <laughs> okay so this next part, what they did isn't funny, but the fact that they thought it might work is kind of funny. They turn the truck around, open the tailgate, throw it in reverse. Fucking stop this right now. No, they didn't. Yes, no. they did. Jason floors it and slams on the brakes thinking it will eject the body from the bed and down into the water. What the fuck? That doesn't work. (laughs) These two fucking morons. What the hell? These fucking morons actually thought, oh, I see that happen in cartoons all the fucking time. That has to be how it really works, right? No, that's not how it works, you dipshits. It's a cartoon. People drew that happening. That doesn't work in real life. You can't just manipulate the laws of physics like a cartoon does. It's not as easy as they look, because turns out physics are really difficult to manipulate in different ways they follow very strict guidelines and laws whatever it's enough science lesson it obviously doesn't work and they end up just backing the truck up to the edge of the water and just roll her in and drop barely even in the water you barely would need a flashlight to see her in the dark she was so close to the water and i know that was rough i know i know that was kind of gross but the night's not over yet Perry didn't find the keys to the Camaro, so... Oh, don't tell me. We gotta go back to the house real quick. By the way, I think I forgot to mention, this is all for a fucking car, by the way. That's the really fucked up thing. This is for a a Camaro. And a Camaro is a cool car and everything. This one looked nice, but they're not worth killing for. Unless the Camaro you're killing for is actually Bumblebee and can transform. Not worth killing over. And even still, I liked Sideswipe better, and honestly, I liked the designs, the designs of the Decepticons a lot more than the Autobots anyway. I thought they were cooler looking. Starscream was bitching. Anyway, they left Crater Lake about 8.20 or 8.30. Oh man, that means they were probably at Sandy's house for at least like half an hour, maybe 45 minutes. After they left Crater Lake, they would go to pick up Jason's girlfriend from work at the Outlet Mall, which is literally just a straight shot up 3083 from Crater Lake. I drove it today. It may be 10, 15 minutes. So now that they've acquired Player 3, let's just call her Megan. Kind of the same name as her real name anyway, but Michael Perry, Jason Burkett, and now Megan go back to the Stotler residence to wait for Adam. Back at the house. They find themselves locked outside of the gate yet again. But they decide to wait for Adam anyway, and eventually they see his white Isuzu rodeo, Pull up. The other car they kinda wanted to steal for some reason. Yeah, why would you want that? Adam has Jeremy with him. Perry and Jason flag them down at the gate and they explain why they're there. And this is a really fucking stupid story. They say they need their help because one of their other friends shot himself while they were out hunting squirrels. And they need your help. That is a dumb fucking story. I know, right? Even if that was true and they need to help their friends, Dude, you're already in a truck, and there's three of you. And why didn't you drive them to the hospital? You clearly have a vehicle. Thank you. Idiots. So they leave the subdivision, and I followed his directions exactly as he said and found where they went. It's exactly as he said in his confession in court, and it is not far from where they just were. There's some houses there now, but it's still triple C thick with trees and growth and shit in between them once they get there, the four boys, Michael, Jason, Jeremy, and Adam, all walk away together into the woods, leaving Megan to sit in the truck. Okay, so this is where details get a little bit confusing, because both Perry and Jason say the other one actually pulled the trigger, but at some point while they're here, Adam and Jeremy are both shot with the same shotgun and killed. Perry says he walked back to the rodeo with Adam while Jeremy was left alone with Jason. But there was a cigarette butt found with Perry's DNA underneath Adam's body when they found that. And when they found Jeremy, it was so overgrown with brush, they don't know if he was put in there or if he maybe got shot while trying to run away and that's where he fell. But if he was put there, it was in such a tight spot that the only person that could fit in there was Perry. Jason was a little bit too bulky to fit in there, I think. Megan hears the gunshots, and when Perry and Jason return without Adam and Jeremy, she says, Well, wait, what happened? Wait, no, never mind. I don't want to know. And then she leaves. That's what I was referring to earlier when I talked about her involvement. That's, this is exactly the time you dip the fuck out of that situation. You just picked me up from work. I haven't seen you all day. Then we drive to the middle of the woods with two other guys I don't really know, and I hear gunshots. And now we're down to two members of our group, when we had four. I'm fucking leaving, and I don't want to know what the hell just happened out there in the dark in the woods. Perry and Jason look at each other. Well, shit, now what? I guess we can finally go get that car. So they drive back to Sandra's house to go get the Camaro. And it's a nice house, too. We'll talk about it later on, but... Once again, the gate's locked when they show up, so Perry says fuck it, jumps the fence, runs down to where the house is, and it's a long way to run, by the way, finds the keys to the Camaro, and then drives away. <sighs> okay. I know that was a lot to get through. Damn, I need a palate cleanser for just a minute here or two. Should we do snack time? Yeah. Yeah, let's do snack time. This week's snacks, I got root beer and pumpkin spice Twinkies. There you go. Um, oh, you know what? How about the how about the new Zelda trailer? There's a new teaser trailer out and it looks super fun. I wonder if we'll actually get to see who the Zonai people are and how they influenced Hyrule. Sorry non-dorks, this part's for me. I like the theory I saw the other day on Zeltic's channel about how maybe Zelda's turning back into Hylia in this game. It won't be out until March, but there you go, something for us Zelda fans to look forward to. Yeah, maybe. Okay, I guess that's enough of a break for now, because we've still got a lot of story to get through. We're not even finished with the crime part. There's no more murder. Well, kind of no more murder, but there's still a lot of action to get through. So the next couple of days are fucking crazy. October 25th, 2001. Dipshit and fuckface just murdered three people for two cars. That math definitely doesn't add up. And so now it's time to go show off the new wheels. Where's the first place you would go in a small town in Texas to show off a car you just murdered three people for? Yes, you, driving in the silver Honda, right there. Yes, you, you are correct. They did go to a tattoo shop. Where? Cut and shoot! Fucking woo! Back to cut and shoot again. (laughs) I really hope I got somebody in a silver Honda with that. They go to the tattoo shop, which might still be there. I haven't been down that way, but. I don't know for sure. They go to the tattoo shop and they start cutting up and showing off and start giving people rides. Hey, you see that car? Yeah. You want to ride in it? Yeah. Alright, let's go! Yeah. But if you look at these two, they don't exactly look like a pair of guys who have money to just go out and buy a Camaro. So when people start asking them where they got it from, they said they won $4,000 in the lottery and cashed into the gas station over there. No. And if you're scratching your head right now, Silver Honda, you're correct again. That's not how lottery tickets work, and you certainly can't cash in a $4,000 winning ticket at a gas station. So it says, change the story. You know what? No, actually, we killed some people and just stole the cars, And they killed two boys to show that he was a man. What the fuck does that mean? I don't even know what that one means. After they leave the tattoo shop, the next day, October 26, 2001, Michael Perry is pulled over in the Camaro for multiple traffic violations and fucking running from the cops. He led him on a chase in the car and then fled on foot. So they arrested him. Yay, we got him! Yeah, all right. Can we go home? Not quite. I neglected to mention earlier that Perry had not only murdered Adam and Jeremy... Allegedly murdered Adam and Jeremy. He also stole his wallet, which had his ID in it. Don't fucking tell me. I wish I wasn't about to tell you what I'm about to tell you, but Perry presents himself as Adam to the police after being arrested, after running from the cops and murdering three people, and they just fucking let him go. It worked. They bonded out later that same day, stolen identity and all. Fucking sloppy as shit on that one. They do not look alike. Then, the next day after that, on October 27th, a couple fishermen are out trolling the lake, and guess what they find? Is it? Not you, though. Oh. I told you last week it's never a log. Dude, I was just gonna let you tell it. Yeah, okay, that's right, you better. Dick. They find Sandra's body three days later and report it to the police. And after the police identifier, probably didn't take long since she worked at a hospital 20 minutes away from there, the pieces start falling into place. Over the next three days, they begin putting together a timeline, and they feel pretty strongly that they know who to look for. Back to October 27th, when the police arrive to investigate the house, this is the scene. They come up to the house. It's a super nice house. It has a very nice, ornate wooden door with glass insets. There's knockout rose bushes in the front yard. There's Everything inside is super tidy and elegant and clean nice wraparound porch with swings and you go inside and there's like grandma stuff in there these dome lamps and throw rugs and one of those big old fat back tvs and there's a giant vhs thing on top and holy shit there is so much blood everywhere in this house too it's under the throw rugs it's in the corners behind the doors it's on the walls on the ceiling there's so much blood shotgun shell just left right there on the purple carpet there's blood on the flower print love seat in front of the fireplace and there's literally spoons in the batter raw dough on the tray still eggshells on the counter making cookies that's what she was doing when they knocked on the door and you know i've never murdered anyone and I don't have it in me to ever even consider it. I don't even kill bugs in my home. I just leave them alone. uh, Maybe if it's a big enough spider, I'll put it outside, but I'd be pretty exhausted with how the last few days have gone if I was these two, but they still have somehow found the energy to party it up and have a rip-roaring good old drunk and fucked up on pails kind of night. Alright, here we are. October 30th, 2001. Police spot the white Isuzu rodeo, which had probably been reported stolen by Megan, and they spot the rodeo at Ronnie's truck stop, which is also not there anymore, but if it's the building I'm thinking of, it's the one that still totally looks like a truck stop down by Rayford Sawdust. And they spot the rodeo there, and here's what Jason says happened when they asked him in the documentary. Literally the first thing Jason says what had happened was they were sleeping in the car. They had been drinking the night before, and they are sleeping in the car because they couldn't get to the motel because it was on the other side of a fence. Couldn't they just drive around? That's exactly what I said. You son of a bitch. There's some other guy with them, and he doesn't know who he is or how he got there. Sometimes you just make new friends, and for some people it doesn't take much. You got booze? Yeah. All right, we're buddies now until we you no longer have booze. How many times have you been invited to a party and that was what got you there? Is there free beer? Yeah, I'll go for a little while until there's no beer left. He says he remembers getting woken up and getting shot. Perry's in the back trying to get out of the car. Jason tries to open up the door and starts to drive away, thinking, "I I don't know what the fuck's going on. I just woke up. I just got shot. I'm getting the fuck out of here. As he's pulling away, trying to flee from the hail of gunfire he's woken up by, He runs over one of the cops and injures his leg. I don't know exactly how it went down. Somebody started bucking shots off at the cop, probably Perry. He seems like a loose cannon, so there's fucking bullets flying everywhere. Jason accidentally runs over a cop trying to get away, and they crash into the building. As they get out, Jason shoots a window in the back of the building and takes off with Perry in tow over to the Wildwood Apartments that are just literally right behind there, and they take shelter inside of one of the units. If you live there now, probably wasn't your apartment. Anyway, they find Jason and Perry pretty easily. I'm not sure what happened to the other guy. I guess he stayed put and they're finally arrested for good this time. Finally. And they're taken to the hospital to treat their injuries. I found one of Perry's appeal letters from way after this and at this point in the story he says the cops broke down the door to the apartment that they were in and beat him senselessly and whenever he asked something about his attorney or lawyer, he was pistol whipped instead. And I don't believe much of what Perry says. He's denied everything about it up and down and blamed literally everybody else but himself for what happened. But even if that did happen, if he was, while being detained, if he asked a question, if the response is to be pistol whipped, I think I get that because, dude, you just fucking shot at the police a lot. That's at least I don't blame him for that at all. He also says in his letter that, based on the video footage and photos of him being arrested before going to the hospital, shows him in good health, with no visible injuries or visible blood anywhere on his body. So how did I leave the hospital worse than I arrived? And how can no one explain how these injuries occurred? You were just in a fucking shootout with the police and crashed a car. The fuck are you talking about? What an idiot. And you can't see any visible blood, by the way, because... The footage is kind of grainy if you see it. It's pretty clear he's kind of messed up when they're walking him to the ambulance. He doesn't look in super great health. And who knows if he's fucked up from the night before. So trial time comes around, and both of them are up for capital murder. Perry's is in February of 2003, and Jason is later on in October. Wow, that's pretty fast. And Jason actually had a little bit of help from his father. Remember old Delbert? Old Delbert. He testifies that Jason's upbringing was all his fault and that if he had been a better father, then Jason wouldn't be involved in this and to please not kill my son. And lucky for Jason, they allowed that testimony since his dad was in prison at the time because it ended up saving his life. Jason was given a life sentence with a minimum of 40 years or so. I think I read something there wasn't a life without option in Texas at the time, so it was life... Minimum 40 was like the blanket term, I think, for a life sentence, regardless, or something like that. But if he does ever get out, it won't be until 2041, but I don't think he will. I didn't have time to put it in here, but there's the cat. Hi, Tish. Yay, kitty. I didn't have time to put it in here because I know this is already way longer than I thought it was going to be. And thank you for sticking in with us to this point, by the way. Yes, thank you. We appreciate it. Perry was not quite as lucky, though. He didn't have the advantage of any mitigating factors to weigh against all the aggravators that add up to a capital murder charge. And he changed his story saying that he's innocent and his confession was coerced and beaten out of him by the police, but the jury doesn't buy it and he is sentenced to death. I think the only reason they both didn't get the death penalty is because of Jason's father's testimony. If not for that, I think they both would have gotten the death penalty. Jason has gone through a series of appeals since then, and he even somehow gotten married and impregnated someone. I I don't know how. I guess she had to Twix wrap her as baby gravy or something? I read in a different article about a woman in Katy trying to mail... Oh no, this is the thing I tried to fit in. I did find it. I'm sorry. I read another article about a woman in Katy trying to mail Jason some meth while he's in prison, but I can't tell if it's the same woman from the documentary, but... Don't mail meth, by the way. In the beginning of the movie, after the opening scene with the chaplain, it it gets into Perry being interviewed by Herzog, and this is this speaks to how unlikable Michael Perry actually is as a person. And the first thing he says, Herzog says to Perry is that his father passed away, and Perry just kind of looks at him with a dumb look on his face, and he asks Perry how he's doing. Perry says in the most ingratiating, stuck up his own ass tone of voice I've ever heard, says oh, I'm a Christian. I believe paradise awaits one way or the other. I tell people all the time I'm either going home or I'm going home. You know, they say I got clinical depression, less motivation to do things, less energy, frustrated. You know, it's the wrong situation. Yeah, you know, I used to write all the time. Oh, we'll talk about some of the stuff he used to write. It's fucking bad. And I've been beaten down. He's Complaining the whole time, just, woe is me, I'm so the world is against me. Dude, you know why you're in there, right? Fucking whatever. Herzog says, destiny may have dealt you a shitty hand, but that doesn't exonerate you. And when I talk to you, it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to like you. But I respect you as a human being. And later on in the interview, I suspect Herzog respects him a little bit less at this point. He says, I don't want to go into the details, but the fact is, three people were killed. And Perry just goes, Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, what about it? And? Ugh, the fucking smugness, like he's proud of it. Like, yeah, I ate the last slice of pizza, what about it? What about you can go fuck yourself, how about that? Asshole. And Herzog says, you deny that you were even close to the scene. Perry says, there's no longer a question of my innocence. He said from death row. The question is, what is anyone going to do about it now? Deflect, 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 deflect all day with this asshole. He's such an unlikable fucking twat. Oh, this fucking stupid alfalfa haircut. I'm sorry to my female listeners, but you know that's a fucking twat move right there. I'm sorry, he's such an asshole. This is a perfect example, he says, of what I don't know. He says, your friend comes to pick you up. You assume that because he's your friend, everything is okay, and you get in the car. Then it turns out that your friend murdered some people in that car, and he's arrested, but you're in the car too, so now you're on Texas Death Row for it. No, 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 that's not how it works, and that's not what happened, and I don't know what the fuck that's an example of. It's a good example of how bad he is at analogies. Oh, I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. The reason you're in prison right now is because of this thing called evidence and this other thing called DNA, both of which they have plenty of that link you to being at the scene of all three murders, but yeah, no, you're totally being framed. It's cool. Yeah, no problem. Full pardon. See you at my party tomorrow. I'll fucking make cupcakes. It'll be fun. No, and sometimes people do get wrongfully arrested and convicted and executed. Yes, sometimes that does happen, and unfortunately, it happens kind of a lot. But not this time. And just one more really interesting thing I found, and then we'll get back to it. I know, it's a beefy episode today. In the appeal letter that I found, what's really interesting, to me, anyway, is the way Perry writes about himself. Throughout the entirety of the letter, and it's a long letter full of spelling and grammatical errors, it's pretty obvious he's a bad writer, but he thinks he's a good writer. I don't know if you've ever read anything that a bad writer has written that they think is good. It's not. He only refers to himself as a man twice. Every other time he mentions himself, he says he's a child in a written letter when he's 22 at the time of writing, after all that's happened. I don't know what that is psychologically, but in my limited scope of knowledge, it seems like he's either a, trying to project more innocence onto himself, since children are easier as to be seen as being innocent. Or he could be trying to get whoever's reading it to take his side, since it's kind of a natural thing to want to take a child's side in any story. But let's get on with this and wrap it up and finish things up. July 1st, 2010. Do I... Do I even really need to mention it anymore? How do I always fucking pick shit out that happens in July? How is it always July? You really do have a knack for it. Stay tuned for my newest podcast project, Murders in Summertime, yeah! No, I don't think I want to do that. That sounds like it'd be really boring, just only July crimes. I don't think that'd be fun. Probably not. Sticky. Anyway, it's July 1st, 2010, and it is Execution Day in Huntsville, Texas. Perry's sitting on death row in his Pale, avocado, lime green, 7x10 cell. Bed literally inches away from the metal toilet sink thing. That, If you reached your arm over far enough, you're in the toilet bowl. And if you're a sick weirdo like me, you'll be fascinated by this next bit. Oh, is it a last meal? That's right, Silver Honda. We have our first last meal on this show, I think. I don't think we've had a last meal yet. Is the Ripper... He didn't die. She's still alive. They never found her. Yeah, I think this is our first last meal. Neat. So what does a guy like Perry order? What do you think? Corn dog. Silver Honda? Anything? Yeah, you can't hear me. Pizza roll. He orders three bacon, egg, and cheese omelets, three chicken and cheese enchiladas, and three cans of Pepsi, Not bad. but also three cans of Coke, and that's not all. It's Texas. Three cans of Dr. Pepper. Why in threes? Why does he do shit in threes? I don't know. They take him from the holding cell at 601, and by 602, he's strapped to the gurney. They have a person in position at each strap, so the moment you get up on the gurney, you're strapped down in about 15 seconds. Once you're up there, you're up there. 608, he gives his last words, which, I'm sorry, these are absolutely going to piss you off, but he said it, not me. His last words were, I want to start off by saying I want everyone to know that's involved in this atrocity that they are forgiven by me. He actually said that. And then he sobbed briefly and he whispered, "Mom, I love you. I'm coming home, Dad. I'm coming home." Oh, he's making that face. You don't get to forgive anybody, you goofy, bowl cut like Gohan head on Nimic, buck tooth, pale, pasty, freckled idiot, dumb, asshole fucking piece of shit. (sighs) You don't get to forgive anybody when you murder three people for a fucking car. Eat shit. He takes four short breaths before dying, and he's pronounced dead at 6.17pm. Lisa Stotler, Sandy's daughter, said of this, I felt sorry for his family. It's not a good day for anyone. When he said he forgave us, I knew justice had been served today. I needed to see if he is a monster, and apparently he is. I feel bad for Lisa, too. To have to go through all that and to have it end with him saying that? I absolutely understand her quote there on that. That's, And to keep pushing forward and moving on is not an easy thing to do, but that is some badass energy that it takes to pull it off and to pull it off at all. Lisa had it kind of rough even before what happened in today's story, which this just speaks more to her character and how fucking cool this lady is. And plus the rest of this story is so dark and chaotic that I, I wanted to throw in something a little bit sweeter. The six months before she was supposed to get married, Lisa's father, who was a preacher at the time, he was going to officiate the marriage, he was going to marry them. He, her older brother, and the family dog were all killed in an accident after being hit by a train. What the fuck? I don't know how to begin with that. That's Jesus. You could have given me all the guesses in the world to say what happened to say, to guess what tragic thing happened. I would have never gotten to being hit by a train. That's fucking crazy. That's so horrible. And that's not the sweet part I was talking about, don't worry. I hope not. At the wedding, which they had on the boat on Lake Conroe, It was probably a gorgeous wedding. I bet they had lit arches all over the place and balloons and shit everywhere. I've seen marriages out there. They're gorgeously well done. As she's going to start her walk down the aisle, Sandy stopped her and took her father's wedding band that he had worn on his hand and pinned it to the inside of her dress over her heart, saying, I didn't want your dad to miss this. Oh, you're right. That is really sweet. So that's the crazy... Fucking crazy, insane, twisted tale of redneck insanity that happened in Montgomery about 20 years ago, all for a red Camaro. I've had my eye on this case for a little while now. I I first watched that documentary back when I first moved out here a while back. I immediately knew I wanted to talk about it, if I ever got around to launching this podcast. Hooray for me! I did it! Yay! My biggest takeaway from reading this, and through reading so many articles, my eyes hurt so bad, and I still have to edit this after this. It's Oh god, it's already 11.30. I'm gonna be up all night doing this. My biggest takeaway is this, and there is so much more to the world than just the bottom of Maslow's Pyramid. Don't be like Perry, don't be like Burkett, don't end up being like them. Strive to do better. Do more stuff. Go try new things. Get your shit sorted out, and... Fucking work on yourself, goddammit. There's so much more to get from life than just steady food and shelter. Write that story. Sing that song. Play that piece that you wrote and stashed away because you hate it and it sounds like shit. It doesn't sound like shit, by the way. You've trained your ears and your eyes for years to be able to tell what looks and sounds good to you. And if chances are, if it looks good to you and sounds good to you, other people will also think it looks good or sounds good. So go out and experience the world however you want. Just get past the bottom block of Maslow's Pyramid. There's so much more to life than just food and shelter. That's kind of where I'm at right now. I've got that bottom block fucking locked down tight, but it's boring down here. I eat a lot of rice and a lot of eggs, and I've told you about how I love my living situation right now. and It's fine. I love it, but... I want different things out of what I have now and if you want new if you want to do different things and you want different things out of life you have to do different things like like this podcast I've never done this before this is like my fucking 12th episode but I'd never know what it's like to experience having one if I never started it and I'm fucking loving it I love doing this it's 11:30 right now and I have a lot more to do after I get done talking here in a few minutes and I know I've been talking for a while now But I love doing this. I've had so much fun putting these together. You guys have no idea. And I'm not trying to say that I'm not grateful for everything that I do have. Fuck, a couple years ago. No, wait. Yeah, a couple years ago and until earlier this year, I couldn't really eat solid food. But that's a different story for a different day. My point is that I've wanted to do different things and now I'm doing different things and I like what's happening and it's fun. And for the most part, I like where I'm at. And I'm really into the whole personal growth thing, so wherever I can share my insight and whatever inspiration I can, if, or if all I can do is make somebody laugh by recording a podcast in my closet, then fuck it, I'll just do that. I don't know if it actually counts toward anything, but it kind of makes me feel like I'm contributing to society in a positive way, so that's another thing that keeps me going on these. That being said, I've got nothing else to tell you this week. That was a lot. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sticking around for all of that. I hope it was worth it. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had all the fun I intended for you to have. This is always the goal here. If you like how I tell stories, please do me a favor and do the free stuff over on iTunes and Spotify and wherever else you can. I've I got my first iTunes review the other day, and I got really excited, and now that I can see a number in front of it, I want it to be a bigger number, so I want to see a zero behind it. I want to get to ten. There has to be at least ten of you out there, right? If I made you laugh today, that has to at least be worth thirty seconds of your time to help me out, right? But really, that's all I have for you today. I'll be back next week with something crazy, or I'll find a crazy angle to put on something. I don't know yet, but... It's going to be a good time, so catch me again next Sunday, everybody. Stay kind.